The Ain't No Fang Podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. Oh, you thought the Diamondbacks were out of this series. Not so fast, my friends. Alex Weiner, Steve Zinsmeister on the Ain't No Fang Podcast. Talking about a Game 3 victory at Chase Field. Brandon Fought was fantastic. We're going to talk a lot about him. You get contributions from guys like Paven Smith and others. We'll talk about them, but it's the walk-off in the bottom of the ninth inning. Cattell Marte, three hits. He's been fantastic this postseason and in both of the postseasons that he's played in. Yeah, dating back all the way to 2017. I mean, he's one of six players ever who have started their postseason careers with a 12-game hitting streak. Um, and so we got that last night with three hits. He was the offense for a lot of the game. I mean, he almost gave them a lead with that home, well, almost a home run. Ball hits off of the wall. He thought it was gone, clearly, by his reaction when he's won. <laughs> um, but still, he comes up in the biggest moment of the game. Uh, the ninth inning, I guess we'll talk about that. It was a bit wonky in how it kind of unfolded because you start up with Lord Escurial walking and he steals second of all people to get their first stolen base somebody with five stolen bases does it um, moves over to third on a Paven Smith his second single and then he gets thrown out of the plate and then from there it's like okay they are really really struggling with runners in scoring position in this game but they still have an opportunity with one out Perdomo walks and it sets up Marte and yeah Marte has been seeing the ball really really well all postseason he's had some big moments already um, specifically the game tying home run against the Brewers in game one to start off the postseason but yeah for for a guy who's been there for this long um, and has finally gotten healthy finally got that breakout season that bounce back season from what we saw earlier in his tenure uh, that was a cool moment for sure. He's got a hit in every single postseason game that he's played in. Yeah, he's the longest tenured Diamondback. Uh, there's an interesting tie that might come into play tonight in Game Four, where he came over in a trade with Taiwan Walker, who maybe could pitch for the Phillies in this series at some point. Former Diamondback as well. Sure. Um, so really awesome night from Cattell Marte. Really awesome postseason from Cattell Marte. He's six talk- for thirteen this series. I mean, he's been yeah. awesome. Yeah, so he's been unbelievable. And when the rest of the team has really, really struggled to get going. So. Let's talk about Lourdes again for a second. You mentioned that he gets to third base there in the ninth inning, gets thrown out at the plate. I, I don't know if I'll call it a base running blunder. It was the infield was in. They made the play. He also got to third another time in the game. And there was it was first and third, no outs. And that's about as good of a situation as you could ask for. And he doesn't make it home by the end of that inning. That's pretty remarkable. So twice he gets to third base, twice he doesn't end up third scoring. Base nobody out. And right. Twice he does not score. So yeah. that's not wonderful. I think this team left 10 on base in this game. I think they were two for 10 with runners in scoring position before the Marte uh, game winner. And the two hits were both the Paven Smith singles that moved a runner from second to third, but didn't score him. Um, nice play by Bryson Stott in the ninth inning to at least stop that ball from going into the outfield. Because that maybe Lourdes scores there. Maybe we're talking about Paven Smith coming off of the bench and delivering the game winning shot. So, um, just you know again it was just another uneven offensive game from them ranger suarez was terrific i know we'll talk a lot about brandon fought but they kind of went um blow for blow for the first five innings and yeah just too many missed opportunities there but at least they were creating chances which is not something they did in game two when you talk about the pitching matchup uh, the lines are almost identical in a lot of ways suarez threw five and a third fought through five and two-thirds, probably could have gone longer. We'll talk about that. Suarez only gave up three hits. 
Fought only two hits, seven strikeouts for Suarez, nine for Fought. They both threw about 70 pitches. Um, Fought, I think the game plan going into this game was to let him throw about 40 to 50 pitches. And so for him to go 70, clearly they gave him a longer leash than they even anticipated needing to do. But he's untouchable. In the sixth inning, five and two thirds. He's got Schwarber coming up to the plate for the third time with two outs. And Tori Lovello pulls him for Andrew Salfrank. A rookie just came up, but has only given up the one run I think he was credited with uh, in this game. That's the first time he's been credited first a run against run. him. First turn As a professional baseball player at the major league level. Um, he got booed, Tori did. And after the game, he even said, man, I was kind of booing myself on the way up to the mound. What did you make of the decision to pull Brandon Fought after five and two-third dominant innings, especially in the context of in game three last week at Chase Field, he had pitched four and a third or four and two-thirds, yeah. and Tori pulled him then and even said the next day, that was a little weird, wasn't it? <laughs> he, it's like he almost doesn't even believe in what he's doing, but we know he does because that's why he's doing it. Yeah, um... I mean, it's, I mean, it makes perfectly logical sense why they pull him when they did. He got through the lineup twice. And that has been, you mentioned 40 to 50 pitches. I think it's more like batters. And Tori has said this dating back to the beginning of September. And like every time Fought starts, like, oh, what's his leash going to be? What's his leash going to be? It's like 18 batters, give or take. And that's exactly what he got through the 18th hitter. He had retired 10 in a row at that point. He had nine strikeouts. He was the first D-backs pitcher to strike out nine batters in a playoff game since Brandon Webb in 07. Uh, no walks, which was really, really impressive against this team to just not give them any extra opportunities with runners on base. He was spectacular. And we can go over why he was spectacular. But, like, the decision to take him out, I get it. Like, you want to see him continue to go and just like how far can he take this thing? Could he pitch eight scoreless innings in a legendary performance that people will talk about forever here? But that's just not how they've handled him. And against the Phillies lineup that's this dangerous and with his numbers against the third time through the order, which in the regular season, opponents were hitting 397 against him with the third time, which is insane. I get it. It, it also counts like the early season struggles that he had but he's just they haven't let him get to that point much at least in the last month and a half when he when he came back up from the minor leagues so totally understand the decision i I get wanting to see how far he would go but um they felt like they had gotten deep enough into the game to turn it over to their better relievers to kind of bridge the gap there saul frank comes into the game gets the job done moves on to the next inning he does get credited with the only run against in this game on the run (laughs) on the ryan thompson (laughs) wild pitch uh but even still hindsight 2020 who knows Kyle Schwarber could have come to the plate and could have hit a nuke off of Brandon he, Fought you I never mean, know he did he had a foul ball that just was towering <laughs> in his yeah. last at bat because Fought didn't make very many mistakes at all but one that he did was a hanging breaking ball over the middle of the plate to Kyle Schwarber which he shot like 450 feet it was just was foul yeah. so maybe that played into it a tiny bit too but um yeah, yeah, Saul Frank, that's not a tough way to give up your first major league run, right? It wasn't even really your fault. <laughs> like, you, you walked the lead off happens. hitter. 
Yeah, yeah, no. It, Granted, they it. didn't give Bryce Harper anything to hit really in this game, so that was clearly a strategy. And he bounced a lot of balls to Harper. They wanted to pitch around him, but then this little dribbler by Alec Bohm, a double play, and then a wild pitch, and then that's your first run. It's tough. I think that it is worth mentioning the games that Brandon fought has been asked to pitch. The three assignments he got in the postseason were game one of the entire postseason in Milwaukee of the wild card series because you didn't have either of your two aces available. That's a tough ask. He gets it gets the job done. Then they're asked they asked him to pitch the game uh game three, the clincher against the Dodgers. First home game, which is nice, an advantage that you give to your rookie pitcher, but you're asking him to close out the Dodgers. No easy task. Then you give him this game, which is a game three that you must win to stay in this series. We know what the odds are of coming back from down 2-0, let alone 3-0, mm-hmm. is nearly impossible. So you asked Brandon Fought to do three very difficult things, and I think he lived up to all three moments. Yeah, it's, man, just the poise that he showed, the, bail- the ability to execute. It's not only that their backs are against the wall. They're placing a red hot offense with a lot of guys who can go yard on you. I mean, Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper. That's the first inning. That's what you get to try to ease yourself into this. Uh, And he attacked. He was in the zone, but not over the middle of the plate. Um, The fastball command was terrific. Uh, How he was able to counterbalance the fastball sinker sweeper and tunnel those pitches. I mean, it was like a perfect display of what the Diamondbacks had in mind for him when they moved him to the right side of the or to the first base side of the rubber and how he could kind of deceive hitters. And he got so much swing and miss in that game. I mean, the Phillies hitters were just continuously fooled by how he was able to change up direction, change up eye levels and just um, execute everything he was trying to do. It, take, it takes a lot for a rookie to be able to do that on the stage. I mean, it's it's not a easy thing. I mean, I think Sarah Langs had the stat where he's the first rookie, or I think he's the first pitcher ever with consecutive postseason starts of no runs and no walks ever, which doesn't sound like a real thing. And I get that his last start was only four and a third. So maybe it's a little bit like, you know, a, a little less than if he was going seven innings each time. But that's really, really impressive to get yourself the best opportunities to get these outs, and he was able to do it. It's funny. I, I got used to seeing these stat lines of Brandon Fought when he was in AAA. Yeah. And even that was impressive because we know the PCL and the Reno, that, that's a place that hitters love to hit. And so he was that impressive in the minor leagues. Now, the major leagues is another story, and he did struggle each of the first three times he got called up to the major leagues. Um, the regular season numbers, we know what they are. They're not great, but to do that that you were doing in the minor league so successfully to do it against the Phillies at a time when they're the hottest offense in baseball and just took down the Braves who are yeah. without a doubt the best regular season team um, it really speaks volumes of Brandon fought okay so that's game three game three is done and over with it's their first NLCS win in 22 years yeah pretty remarkable let's put that in the rearview mirror let's look towards game four which is tonight Who's going for the Diamondbacks in a game where you've already used Merrill Kelly, Zach Allen went in game one, so and they said he's not pitching on short rest. So if it's not Gallon, it's not Kelly, it's obviously not fought. What are the Diamondbacks going to do here in game four? Yeah, the big question was whether or not they would go opener or if they would just pick a starter out of Ryan Nelson, Slate Sacconi, and then have a really, really tight leash and then go from there. It makes all the sense in the world. They're going to go with a lefty opener. They're going with Joe Manapply. 
so he will go up against you know that Schwarber, Turner, Harper trio, try to get a you know a little bit ahead of it, you know not having like Ryan Nelson or Slate Sacconi face Harper and Schwarber in the first inning, get those lefty matchups you want, and then kind of piece it together from there. I don't know whether or not they go with their long guys right after, like in the second inning, like let's say Manipal gets one, two, three, and then you're looking at like Bohm, Stott, Real Mudo. Castellanos maybe that's when you put one of those guys in and hope that they can get you two innings and then you can pick the next one I'm not entirely sure how it's going to work but it's it's going to be pieced together in a pretty unorthodox way where it's like I hope everybody is on today kind of a deal because the Phillies won't have to do quite that they're going to go with Christopher Sanchez young pitcher 26 um, first postseason experience he hasn't pitched in the playoffs this year uh, lefty but He's somebody, I mean, they, they clearly like the Diamondbacks. They had a top three. It was a more established top three because Fott's a rookie and Ranger Suarez pitched in the playoffs last year. So now they go to Sanchez. We'll see what kind of leash you, you, you tease the Taiwan Walker deal earlier. Maybe they piggyback. I don't know. But what I'm interested in, too, is what the D-backs lineup looks like. Because they actually made some changes for the first time this postseason going into Game 3. They were facing a lefty, so usually they flip Cattell and Corbin at the top of the order. But they decided to take Alec Thomas out and put Emmanuel Rivera in. They switched Moreno and Pham. They moved Longoria to DH, and they put Rivera at third. It was a tough day at the plate for Rivera, uh, coming up in big spots and hitting the ball right to the shortstop a couple of times. So do they continue to adjust? Would they like Alec Thomas for defense, knowing that the pitching is going to be a little bit more questionable? We'll see, but those are those are decisions to make. Yeah, and honestly, some of those decisions are because they were facing the lefty Ranger Suarez, but I think some of those decisions might have been made regardless. Um, just the way Tommy Pham hadn't been hitting. He did get one that hit I yesterday, yeah. um, but he had just been completely cold at the plate, so to move him down a little bit in the lineup made some sense to me. Gabby's been really hot in the postseason. And he almost homered. Almost homered, and this is a guy who's already got three homers in the postseason, and I think he only hit seven in the regular season, as good as he was. So I think that they made some lineup changes uh, for the better yesterday to yeah. jumpstart this offense. It seemed to work. They got enough out of the offense that they were able to win the game, obviously. Um, but I think you're right. I, I think the game four is going to be a little bit of gamesmanship from both teams, uh, throwing Joe Mantiply. That's more out of necessity. Uh, the Diamondbacks just don't have a lot of starting pitching options at this point. The Phillies do. I mean, they could throw Taiwan Walker right out of the gate. They aren't. They could have thrown Michael Lorenzen, a guy that they acquired at the trade deadline who had a really good first half. Um, they could have thrown him. He threw but, a no-no and then kind of went And then kind of disappeared, bit. yeah. But they could have thrown him in, in a situation where they're up in the series if they needed to, but they're going to go with a lefty as well. And I do wonder if that's kind of the same reason the Diamondbacks are, because then we can alter the other team's lineup a little bit early in the game, which then could lead to you emptying the bench. It's a strategy that Torrey Lavello used pretty effectively against the Dodgers because they had a bunch of those lefty guys, you know, Jason Hayward at the end, tail end of the lineup, where if we can get him out early and replaced with Chris Taylor or whoever, uh, then you start to empty the bench and there's less options for teams later in the game. So I think game four is a little bit of gamesmanship on both sides for me. And then really game five, which the Diamondbacks yesterday solidified, they will play a game five on Saturday yeah. at Chase Field. That's going to be a heck of a matchup. You'll get the Zacks again, Zach Gallon and Zach Wheeler, who was fantastic in game one, but this time at Chase Field. And you're hoping that you get 
home Zach Gallen rather than road Zach Gallen. They've been very different things this year. Yeah, absolutely. And just I was looking up the uh, the Rob Thompson quote about how he plans to piece together the the pitching, and he gave a very Rob Thompson answer. We'll figure it out. So there you go. Well, I mean, Tori <laughs> didn't give a much clearer answer yesterday. No, he yeah. didn't. He didn't announce it during his post game press. It was announced afterwards. He was playing it coy. He was like, "Yeah, we'll we'll get that name to you guys," but, which kind of told me that they already knew. I mean, they've been they just had game to tell him. They just had out. to tell him. Yeah, I think that was the big deal. But but yeah, going back to the point. Um, yeah, they extend the series to five at least. It's a big deal. I mean, yeah, sure. Gallon wasn't great in game one. He made a few mistakes. Um, Ultimately, the Phillies like crushed every mistake that he made, and so maybe it looked a little worse than it was. But yeah, to give at least to give your ace another chance at home, I think is a big deal. And I mean, so I mean, today's game is going to be a little weird, but at least you put yourself on a track where okay, if you can rely on your ace to get you another win, and then you go back to Philadelphia, you have Kelly and fought. You don't have to deal with this piecing together a, a game here. You only have to deal with that in game four. Um, Kelly has been very good this postseason. Terrific against the Dodgers. I thought he was mostly fine against the Phillies in that first game. Again, kind of similar to Gallon. He made a couple mistakes early and they crushed it. And after that, I thought he was totally fine and then fought's been terrific so at least you know it's one of those where it's like i'm sure a lot of people around the country thought this series was over after the first two especially with a 10 nothing result in game two but to at least give yourself the opportunity to line up your pitching in that way if all goes right i think gives them at least you know a little bit of a runway here um so we're heading into game four tonight game five tomorrow as you mentioned uh, I do think that we should at least bring up Corbin Carroll in this situation. He went 0 for 4 yesterday. Anything to be concerned about there? I, I'm not overly concerned. Um, I do think going into Game 3, I was still curious whether or not if Corbin Carroll made it on base, would he finally try to attempt to steal second base? And it seems very trivial because if he had stolen second base to lead off games 1 or 2, that doesn't necessarily mean they win the game. Yeah. Um, but it speaks to the mindset. It speaks to the chaos that they try to create, and we've talked a lot about that mantra during this postseason. I actually spoke to Dave McKay about it a little bit yesterday. Okay, what did he have to say? I mean, the Phillies are doing a great job of keeping him there, of Miramuto looking over, you know, giving signs with his glove to Nola, when to throw over, Nola was slide-stepping. They were doing what they could to keep him there. And ultimately, and that worked in that at bat. I mean, it looked like Carroll was going to go once or twice, but they were able to throw it over. They just didn't have that many opportunities to then try to be aggressive on the bases because they didn't get anybody on the bases. I mean, you finally saw it in game three where they get a few base runners and then you're going up against relievers who are less equipped to keep the guys there. And somebody like Lourdes Gurriel steals and Pavin Smith takes second on a defensive indifference. And they just have more opportunities to create that chaos if they get on base. Um, And that's sort of the, the big takeaway, I guess. It's like, yeah, sure. Two times in a row, he doesn't take off, but they were doing a good job trying to keep him close to the base, and he didn't feel like he was going to get the jump to go, and so he didn't go. You mentioned the only guy who swiped a bag in Game 3, Lourdes Gurriel. He took off before the pitcher, uh, before he lifted his foot. I mean, he took off early. Yeah. And he probably doesn't make it there unless he does take off early, so maybe that was part of the strategy, was I'm going no matter what. 
Um, which they we saw could, something with Kimbrel he wasn't going to look over, and he went. Yeah, yeah, and we could talk all day about whether that's smart or not, especially with a gold glove catcher behind the dish. But um, yeah, no, you're right. They haven't had a ton of opportunities. I, I don't expect Corbin Carroll. He very rarely has games like this where he's 0 for 4, 0 for 5, mm-hmm. and does absolutely nothing to impact he the game. He almost had a hit in this game, but it was a really, really nice play from Bryson Stott moving over to his glove side um, to make a sliding play and get him at first base just in time so you know if that ball squeezes through I think Cattell was on second base at the time um, because that was after one of his doubles and so if that ball squeezes through I don't know maybe he maybe Cattell scores and the game looks a little bit different so um, part of it is that he's had some early count outs broke a handful of bats in in Philadelphia it seemed like especially against Zach Wheeler so um, yeah it hasn't been the smoothest series for him but he's had a great postseason otherwise and so I don't know we'll see if you want a really bright spot uh, going into a bullpen game the bullpen's been fantastic Uh, now granted they were only asked to do three and a third innings yesterday not like today where they're basically asked to do all nine um, in some way shape or form but Saul Frank gets credited with the run but it wasn't super his fault he did walk the leadoff runner it was a, it was a strange run Thompson strange run. Yeah. I guess you could fault him for the wild pitch obviously yeah. I thought he could have rushed to home plate a little bit quicker and maybe they would have had a chance to throw him out because that ball ricocheted off the wall right back to, to Gabby yeah um, Ginkle was fantastic Paul Seawald continues to be really really good as well so yeah um, all things considered heading into a bullpen game your bullpen has been really really good so it's not and even the other guys like Luis Frias has been terrific yeah and that's you know another option probably that they're going to need at some point today so yeah they're going to need more than what did they pitch the four guys yesterday i five total pitchers yesterday's game i'm thinking today is probably closer to seven or eight i'm really curious what they do as far as like the nelson sacconi duo the second guy yeah on the mound the first guy out of the pen today yeah how long do they go how do those guys handle it because nelson didn't look great in philadelphia but that game was out of hand at that point anyway so maybe it's a little bit different weird stuff the pop-up i don't know but sacconi looked a little bit better i I don't know we'll we'll see what they go there but those two guys i mean everybody else can do their jobs but if the phillies score five runs in three innings there then that might be that might be it i don't know i love asking you this question i've asked you this a couple times over the last few weeks in the postseason the diamondbacks will win game four tonight if they score more than their opponent. <laughs> okay, John Madden. Magic Johnson <laughs> over here. All they have to do is score more. And no, um, Like, what's the one big thing? I think just continuing to be, to give yourself opportunities to score. It doesn't have to be, like, obviously Slug would help a ton. And they almost got some yesterday. I mean, Cattell hits one off the wall. Gabriel Moreno hits one. It would have been a home run in 26 ballparks, according to StatCast. So... Obviously, getting those big breaks would be huge, but creating opportunities where those breaks become even bigger by being disciplined at the plate and walking, like Perdomo was able to do down 1-2 in the ninth inning against Craig Kimbrell. That was a huge, huge at-bat, and it gave Marte the ability to you know, deliver the walk-off with, you know, allow Pavin Smith to walk home. So at-bats like what we saw close towards the end of the game, um, a few of those at-bats by Paven Smith where he was able to work it a little bit and then get enough of the barrel on it to get it through. So uh, I think just being able to create opportunities for yourself to score, they weren't great with runners in scoring position yesterday, but even if it's a scenario today, if they're three for 12 with runners in scoring position, but those three hits score four runs, that might be the biggest difference. So um, I think that's the biggest thing. Because we don't know what's going to happen with a bullpen game. Somebody could be totally off and an inning can get away. Or everybody could be great. So 
I think as far as being what, what you're able to sort of control, I think that would be it. The Diamondbacks get a win in this series in Game 3, back at home at Chase Field, behind Brandon Fought, the rookie pitcher, and as well as three hits from Cattell Marte, including the walk-off in the bottom of the ninth. Can they even the series tonight? Well, we're going to find out, and you can get all your post-game coverage at ArizonaSports.com and the Ain't No Fang podcast. We will be with you tonight after Game 4. For my friend Alex Weiner, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. We want to thank you for checking out the Ain't No Fang podcast at Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Thank you.